this part of the service as we come before God's Word and there's a topic that God has laid on our hearts or given to us in His Word. I always recognise that uh, all of us are coming from different weeks, different mornings, different ideas. And uh, what, what Craig and I always try and do is, is how can we best facilitate the process of helping all of you connect with what we believe that God is wanting to connect with us this morning. And uh, on the front end, I want to tell you that we're going to be going very fast this morning. I don't have time to do that. Um, However, what I do know is that every single one of you are going to be identified very strongly with the topics that we're going to speak about. And just some context, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, as a church, we've been going through this little book. It's actually a letter in the New Testament called Colossians. It's an actual letter that Paul wrote to a church 2,000 years ago. And as much as Paul was dealing with certain issues there, those same issues are so real and so applicable for us. And some context uh, as we go into today's message is that uh, what Paul has been doing for us, uh, he's been trying to allow us, and this is the kind of thing he's praying for, you guys are praying for, I've been praying for, he's been trying to help us see the, the, the reality, the glory and the largeness of Jesus, that all things are created through Him, by Him and for Him. All things find their purpose in Him. If we are gonna become fully alive, we're gonna be coming fully alive in Him. And He elevates our view of Jesus and then he says wow Christ is in you this hope of glory and this is kind of mind-blowing mind-stretching moments and then in the same way he says not only is Christ in you this Christ but you are in him and there's all these kind of benefits of being in Christ and then last week we spoke about the victory of Christ on the cross and and as a church I think we're going to experience a bit of whiplash because the verse that we're going to read today starts off with the word therefore. In other words, in light of everything we've just covered, there's a therefore, and then Paul is going to get insanely practical. So up to this point, it's been largely theology uh, in the truest sense of the word is uh, theology. is just kind of how we understand who God is, specifically how we understand who Jesus is. And Paul, by this stage of the letter, and for us as Riverside Community Church, I'm hoping that Jesus has been growing and swelling in our imaginations and in our hearts and in our minds. And then Paul says, therefore... In other words, in light of who Jesus is, in light of His glory and His majesty and His transcendence, and also in light of the fact that He is in you, and in light of the fact that you are in Him, in light of His glory, in light of His Lordship, in light of His victory on the cross, therefore... And he's going to get so insanely practical. Uh, And I'm going to tell you in a second what he's going to talk about. But the point is this. We can't say Jesus is Lord and let it not affect our daily lives. He's not gonna let us kind of say, Jesus is Lord on church once a Sunday or twice a month. Jesus is Lord when I think about the Bible. Jesus is Lord when I pray. Jesus is Lord when when I've got worship music and then it stops there and then I am Lord. I take control. I take control of the rest of my life. Paul's not gonna let us do that. He's gonna say, if Jesus is all these things, If Jesus is glorious and in everything and through everything and everything finds their meaning and purpose in Him and you're in Him and He's in you and the victory of the cross is yours, His new life is yours, that changes and affects everything. 
And so from this point in the letter onwards, he's gonna talk about work. He's gonna talk about family. And the first two things he's gonna talk about after giving us such rich theology, he's gonna talk about what we eat and what we drink. Now, I know for a fact in the eight and a half years we've been here at Riverside Community Church, I don't think we've ever spoken about how we eat to the glory of God. I know years ago we did speak about uh, the idea of drinking and we will talk about that in a second. But can you see what Paul is saying? He's not letting us segment our lives into God stuff and non-God stuff. He's saying if this is true, even how you eat matters. And what and how you drink matters, all right? Assuming all of this. Now, this is why I knew for a fact that you guys would connect with this immediately because every single one of us eats for a living, quite literally. Um, <laughs> we can live without movies. Um, we can live without music. And there is a lot of music that I think we can live without. Um, we can live without, believe it or not, social media, uh, but we cannot live without food. And for that reason, we spend a lot of our time eating. We spend a lot of our desire and a lot of our money around food, whether it's it's simply something that's like a necessary evil in our lives or something we truly enjoy. Our lives are orientated around food. And Paul is saying, now as Christians, as Christ followers, for whom all of this is true, therefore, how do we think about what we eat? How does that inform, how does all of this inform the things I consume? And, and really, we're gonna get so practical this morning. And then he's gonna talk about what we drink. Now, Paul is not concerned whether you like Pepsi or Coke or whether you like double espressos or cappuccinos. The, the, the topic that we're gonna be kind of navigating this morning is this idea of, are we, and I'm sure you've got strong opinions about this sitting here this morning, and I know by the end of today, I will have ticked every single one of you off in different ways. But okay, I'm up for the task. Um, but Paul's gonna say, but what we drink when it comes to alcohol and when it comes to our opinions and some of the ways that we relate to it, again, if all of this is true, we have to be thoughtful, we have to be intentional and we have to think about how we eat, how we drink, pretty much the things that we need to consume. And as we go on in the weeks to come, we are gonna see a whole lot of other ways that um, this Lordship of Christ is gonna work its way practically into all areas of our lives. And, and what's gonna be difficult about today is that we're talking about Christian freedom. Christian freedom, and when God talks about Christian freedom, He doesn't give us 4,000 rules. Instead, He gives us two basic principles. How do we love God and how do we love others? And that's gonna be undergirding when it comes to food and eating and drinking. How do I love God? And how do I love others? So we're talking about Christian behavior. And, um, you know, sometimes for some of you, being told kind of what Christians believe or what Christians should be believing is not really a touchy issue. The, the reason we get touchy is when we get told how to behave. No one gets to tell me what to do, right? Uh, but I do believe we need to navigate these things with biblical principles and biblical grace. Um, but uh, when it comes to Christian behavior, we need to recognize there's pretty much 
three big categories. And uh, the one is this, things that we must do or things that we ought to do. This is true for all Christians everywhere, whether you're in Australia or America or or Asia or South America, whether you lived 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago, these are true for all Christians. We are all to be loving God and putting Him first. We are all to be loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. We are all to be generous. We are all to be part of a believing community. We are all to be serving one another and serving our neighbours. We are all to be living out our faith. We are all to be finding ways to share our faith. Those are things we ought to do and those are kind of non-questionable items. Then on this side of the world, there are things that we mustn't do. These are things that we will call sin. So when God says, you know, do not uh, um, murder and do not even have angry thoughts unnecessarily in your mind, uh, do not commit adultery, but do not even have lust in your heart. When he talks about greed and when he talks about gossip and when he talks about, you know, a, a, a sort of selfish hearts and non-generous hearts, these are things that we would call sinful. These are things we should not do and almost no questions asked kind of thing. Um, the reason why God would say these are dangerous, so it's not arbitrary, is God knows that for every single one of these, they will break down our relationship with Him, they will break down our relationship with one another, and they will break down our relationship with ourselves. And so all counselling, personal counselling, and, and relational counselling, and spiritual counselling comes from this side of the equation, things we should not do, whether it's actions or attitudes of the heart or the mind. Right? Things we should do, things we should not do. And then there's this in-between gray zone where most of the debate lies. And this is where Paul dives straight in here this morning. So unfortunately for us, there is no book of the Bible with a list of Netflix movies that we can as Christians and can, and can or cannot watch. There's no list of books that we should or shouldn't read. All right, there's no, you know, you can and you cannot eat these things. And when you, you know, you can have McDonald's this many times a week. There's nothing like that. Doesn't tell you where and where you cannot dance. And so we need to navigate these, kind of understanding the things we ought to be doing and living that out and the things we ought not to be doing and living that out. And somehow that informs how we engage in the middle here. And as we do this, I want us to recognize something in our own hearts. So for some of you here this morning, you kind of grew up in a very strict family or maybe a very strict church environment and there's something in you that was raised around rules, rules, rules and being a Christian was all around the things that you're not allowed to do, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. And there's something in you that kind of has sunburn against anything that feels like a rule. So as we navigate this in-between zone, some of you need to recognize a tendency in your own heart to kind of flirt. You're always on this side of things. You're always in the name of being anti-legalistic. You're always gonna be flirting on this side of the equation and sometimes jumping over the fence and back and over and back, right? Some of us love rules. Just, just tell me what to do and I'll do it, right? I, I don't need to know why. And, and, and there's different reasons why we are in those positions, but some of us need rules. Some of us need structure. Some of us just need to be told this is how to do it. And then that is fine. What we need to be careful of as we navigate these is, is become aware of these tendencies. And some of these tendencies are actually gonna lead us in the name of liberty to sin. And some of these tendencies in the name of having good structure in our lives are gonna lead us to legalism. 
And Paul is gonna be very concerned about both ends of these spectrums. And not only is he concerned about you, but he's gonna be concerned. I'm telling you all of this. We're gonna get to the verse and you're like, yes, that's what that verse says. He's gonna be concerned about how we, who have convictions about this middle, how we think about those who have different convictions to us. We're not talking about the do's. We're not talking about the don'ts. We're talking about the in-between convictions. And he's very careful for us to uh, recognize our own hearts when it comes to those who have different convictions about that. So um, as we come to this passage, let's read together. Very short verse, but we're gonna really unpack it because there's just no way we can do it any justice in any other way. So read with me Colossians chapter two, and then we're gonna read the first part of verse 16, and we'll pick up the second part of verse 16 next week where he talks about similar and related issues. So therefore, this is the first word, in light of Christ's Lordship in your life, therefore, the first practical thing he gets to, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink. So now in order for us to understand how we are not to judge one another, I think we need to have a better understanding of some of the context of eating and drinking in Scripture and how we navigate these. So here's how we're gonna do it so you know where we're going. We're gonna talk about eating first, then we're gonna talk about drinking. And as we broach both of these topics, when you talk about eating, we're gonna say, well, what does the Scripture say is good about food? What does Scripture affirm? What are some of the positive ways the Scripture speaks about for eating and drinking? Then we're gonna go, well, what does the Scripture condemn? What is bad? What is offsides? What is not okay when it comes to eating and drinking? And then we're gonna be left with this middle zone and hopefully apply some wisdom, some thoughts, some intentionality into this zone so that we can be intentional under the Lordship of Christ. How do we live out eating and drinking in a community in this zone, right? You with me? So let's talk about eating. And let's talk about what, how the Bible affirms food and affirms eating. Well, first of all, God created us to eat, right? He, this is something we need. We need to eat. Um, and and uh, as we look through the pages of Scripture, we see that food is a good thing. In the Garden of Eden, God positively gives us things for us to eat and to enjoy. Throughout Scripture, it was, we recognize whether it's in Ecclesiastes or, or some of the other prophets on the New Testament, that food is a good thing that we can celebrate. It's not necessarily a neutral thing or a necessary evil. Uh, I've got a friend from our old church who used to say, Stephen, I don't know why you get so excited about food. Just give me a tablet that gives me all that I need for the day. That's gonna fill up my stomach and I'll be happy. And I'm like, that's ungodly. That's just like not a how we are supposed to live this life, right? So the Bible affirms food as a good gift from God. Then we look at the Old Testament and we look at all the festivals and, and all of the high points of the Jewish calendar. And right in the middle of all of that was food. Come and eat, come and celebrate God and come and eat, right? Then we've got a food that has taken on some symbolic meaning. Um, we look at the Passover lamb, something they actually physically ate in the Old Testament as well when it came to the sacrifices. They weren't just kind of burnt in a corner. Some of them were, but most of them were actually consumed by the people together. Right, then we've got this Passover lamb, and I love that lamb is in here. Um, the Passover lamb that was consumed by the people and became symbolic of God's saving activity, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, this meal. And in many ways, we kind of celebrate that every time we take communion. We literally put something in our mouths. We consume something symbolic to signify God's saving work. 
Then we look at the person of Jesus and uh, we see that, here's an interesting thought. I don't know if you've been aware of this. There's a verse where Jesus is accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now we know Jesus didn't sin, but clearly he ate food and enjoyed his food to the point that some people thought, no, I think you enjoy your food too much. All right, I take great comfort from that verse. Um, (laughs) There's a theologian that has, well, commentates on the book of Acts that says, you know, you can actually track the, the narrative of the book of Acts based on meals that God ate with these people and stayed with his family. And then Jesus moved and ate with his family. Along the way, there was some ministry and he did something. And then he went to another place and he ate there. And you can almost trace these places where Jesus, the Son of God, sat down and ate with people. Some found that, how can you sit and eat with sinners? Now, we often talk about the sinner's part, but here's this eating part that was part of Jesus' life to the point where some thought he was a glutton. Then there's this idea in the future where this culmination of history where God's people get to celebrate uh, in fullness um, what God has done. And one of the pictures given to us is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, I mean, that's the most festive place to be. And there's, and there's food and there's wine in the Bible and, and there's probably even gonna be dancing. It's all about joy and festivity, right? So on this side of the scale, sorry, I, I forget if I'm going left or right. So just kind of go with me. Um, on this side of the scale is the Bible saying food is good. It's about festivity. It's about celebration. It can even be about worship. All right, so the Bible affirms Food. So 1 Corinthians 10 31 says, Whether we eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. And that's going to be a theme that comes up a lot today. But then they're also on this side, there are also clear warnings about what is not okay about food, things that we need to be very careful about. Now, just to let you know that when we're talking about this side of whether it's eating or drinking, it's always going to be about excess. It's always gonna be about when we take this good thing and we make it about a lot more than just the good thing that God has given us. I mean, what we're meant to do is let me eat this good meal and not only enjoy the good meal rightfully, but also to go, what kind of God gives us good meals? That kind of God. And I get to enjoy God and I get to enjoy the meal. But then we go beyond that. We start to enjoy the food for its own value. We start to eliminate God out of the equation. We start moving into idolatry and excess and that's where things get dangerous. So, in the book of Philippians 3 verses 19, he talks about people for whom God has become their stomachs, right? Um, among all the sins mentioned in the Bible, gluttony, excessive eating is one of the biblical sins. Uh, Proverbs 23 verses 20 says, do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. Now again, it's not saying that meat is bad. It's not saying that wine is bad, but excess is bad. And we need to be very careful about that. Then there's this reality. I mean, we're living in a time with commercial farming and kind of things going into our food. There's a reality. Some of you are living with these realities whereby many of our modern diseases are as a result of what we eat. And we think about heart disease. We think about many of the, not all, but many of the cases of diabetes and not all, but many of the cases of cancer uh, are as a result of what we do and do not consume. And God cares about that. God cares about what this does to our temples. God cares about our bodies. Uh, I want to see my grandkids playing. I want to play with them. And God cares about that. 
And therefore, He wants us to survive as far as is possible. Yes, we live in this fallen world, but we are need to be needing to be stewards about this. God cares about the status of our hearts when it comes to this and the status of our bodies. So, We've got this affirmation, food is good, it's a good gift from a good giver. And then on this side, when man, when it becomes excess, when it becomes idolatry, when it becomes dangerous to your lifestyle, to your family, to your future, then you've crossed a line into sin. But what about the in-between zone? I mean, at what point does the good thing become a bad thing? So, you know, let me, let's get real practical. Is, is it when I eat a 200 gram steak? Or, or, no, is that fine? But no, 300 gram steak, that's gluttony. Or a 400 or 500? What if it's like, no, 30% bone? And then of course you get these guys where you go and eat like a one and a half kilogram burger or one and a half kilogram steak. I mean, if you do that once a year, is, is that okay? Or is that not okay? Uh, I mean, for example, like if I eat, and I spoke about it earlier, if I eat McDonald's once a month, is that fine? Once a week? Once a day? Three times a day, at what stage in this in-between zone am I now living foolishly and I'm now flirting with this side of the line and maybe even falling prey to the idolatry of food and the idolatry of excess? And we're gonna have strong opinions about that. Now again, some of us here in this room are kind of gonna be saying, listen, I'm so against being told what to do. So I'm always gonna be flirting with the side of the things. So I'm always gonna be, yes, I'm game. Let's go. Jesus is Lord, amen. And we're gonna be kind of playing with this side of the world. And yet many of us here in this room for all sorts of reasons, probably most of them, um, you know, some of them spiritual, uh, a lot of them very practical. You're going to have kind of rules and structures in your life about what you should eat. And you know it is best for you to live within this side of that gray spectrum. Some of you here this morning have chosen uh, to be vegetarians or even vegans. Some of you have evaluated what we eat and you've decided, well, we can only eat organic food. Some of you have evaluated, you said, I'm cutting sugar out of my life. Some of you are cutting carbs out of your diet. Some of you are trying to only eat carbs. Uh, some of you are, uh, you know, one cheat meal a week. Some of you are like three cheat meals a day. Um, <laughs> Some of you have chosen to eat simply to identify with the poor around you and in our country. And also all of us have structures or reasons as to why we've chosen to eat this way. Now, when it comes to this side, the kind of the oughts and then this side, the ought nots, there's no verse that says you must be a vegetarian. There's no verse that says you're only allowed one cheat meal a week, that you must cut sugar out of your diet or that you must go on a ketone diet. Well, you know, there's all these ways that we're supposed to be eating. As much as we try and find those directives, they are simply not there. So we need to navigate this in-between space and knowing that all of us here have some sense of what we believe is right and wrong. And how do we do this together so that we're not imposing our views on other people? I mean, some of us have chosen to be vegetarians based on ethical reasons and some of the concerns about farming practices. Some of us have chosen to be vegetarians based on you know, this idea of taking a life and eating of that flesh. Some of us have chosen to, for health reasons to eat in certain ways and to eliminate certain things from our diet and you know, pending diabetes and some of these things. Uh, so some of us may have had a history of uh, suffering from an eating disorder and therefore the kind of regimen and the kind of your relationship to food and what promotes health health in your life is going to be very different to what it is in my life. In addition, some of you look at a donut, you gain five kilograms. Some of you, uh, you can eat what you want 
and nothing changes. And then we attempted to fall into another sin, the sin of hate and envy. Um, So recognising that there's a tendency in us to kind of move one way or the other and we've got convictions and maybe even good convictions. Well, Paul is saying when we step out of the white zone, when we step out of the black zone, when we're in this middle zone, he says, do not let anyone judge you. Meaning do not impose your opinions and what you hold dear to you. And then there's maybe very good reasons why you have your opinions, why you've chosen a certain way of relating to food. Do not impose those upon others. Why? Because last week we celebrated the fact that Jesus has taken the written code which stood against us and he forgave us our sins and he canceled it by nailing it to the cross. And he's saying, now guys, don't fall into legalism now. Don't impose non-biblical morality upon other people that is gonna stand opposed to them and hinder their spiritual growth. And this is how we ought to be relating to one another. And so in this zone, each one of us, maybe some of us have applied some thoughts to this space when it comes to food, and maybe many of us haven't. I must be honest, as I've been going through this message, I've just realised for my own life, I have thought about it, but I need to think about it so much more and really submit what I eat under the Lordship of Jesus. But each one of us needs to say, how do I think about this? How do I bring the spiritual reality of Christ in my life into what I eat? And then when others have different convictions, how do I relate to them? Here's a verse that I think can help us. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 to 24. Speaking specifically about food in this particular context that were offered to idols, can we, can't we eat them? Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but for the good of others. So in the realm of Christian liberty that the the law has been nailed to the cross, fulfilled by Christ, I have been forgiven. And we live under grace. That is absolutely true and to be celebrated. There are still decisions that need to be made. And we don't want to burden people with unnecessary moral and legalistic expectations. On the other hand, I need to make decisions under the grace of God and I I need wisdom for that. I need insight for that. I need to know myself. I need to know my community. I need to know what God is calling me to and in that way live out that in freedom because God wants you to experience long life and freedom and therefore we need lots of grace, lots of understanding for ourselves and for others. So we've spoken about food. And that was standard grade compared to what we're gonna speak about for the rest of the message. And that is gonna speak about what we as Christians under the Lordship of Christ drink. Now, maybe some of you are sitting here and you would not consider yourself a Christian. Well, this doesn't really apply to you. And I think we as Christians have made a mistake by taking what we expect of ourselves and imposing it upon others. But this may be insightful to you, but really as believers, as followers of Christ, for whom this whole reality of Jesus is true, It has to inform what, how, and when we drink. So um, I am kind of recognizing again that I'm probably gonna be so unpopular, but nonetheless, this is such a dicey topic, one that has divided Christians, uh, interestingly enough, uh, a lot more in the last hundred years of church history than in the times before that. But even before that, there was some evidence of people being divided about this, having strong opinions, fiercely debating this topic. I mean, on any given day, even a Sunday, you're gonna have Christians literally drinking fermented wine in church, calling it the Eucharist, the blood of Christ. 
All right, then you're gonna have some Christians that are gonna go out to their homes or go out to lunches and they're gonna have a social glass of wine or a social beer and they're gonna say, I can drink this to the glory of God. And then you're gonna have a whole bunch of other Christians that say, no ways, I'm gonna roll over in my grave if there's alcohol in my home. Um, <laughs> my dad was traveling to the States with a colleague and um, this particular guy, his family and his community has a, cult, a history of alcoholism. And for those reasons, he had chosen to abstain completely. And this is kind of an open discussion with them. And uh, they visited a family in the States for whom they had also chosen to be abstainers. And um, they're kind of sitting in the kitchen talking as supper's being made. And uh, the one cupboard door is open. And my dad looked in and he saw a bottle of balsamic vinegar. But you know how they're kind of green and can be mistaken for a bottle of wine. My dad knew it was a bottle of balsamic vinegar. So kind of tongue in cheek. And I said, hey, what's a bottle of wine doing in your cupboard? He said, this guy's face went white and literally jumps over the table to find and dispose of this bottle of wine. And my dad's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. this joke went down like a lead balloon because he was really just trying to make light of the issue. Um, but again, there are some of us in this room for whom that is our reality. So how do we make sense of this all? So again, let's talk about what is affirmed, what is okay. Let's talk about what is not affirmed, what is not okay. And then let's have some wisdom and grace and humility to speak about this middle zone. So when we talk about what is okay, uh, some of you may be shocked to discover that the Bible isn't just kind of neutral on the topic of wine. It actually speaks very positively about, about wine in a number of different ways. Uh, wine is associated with joy and with blessing. I've got about six, seven verses here. I'm not gonna read through all of them, but I do want to read one. Deuteronomy 7 verses 13. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. Speaking to the Israelites in the new land, he will bless the fruits of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks in the land. Then moreover, we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus uh, turning His first miracle. He chose to turn water into wine. And some people have said that was Jesus' first miracle. Most Christians have been trying to turn the wine back into water since then. Um, <laughs> and it was considered good wine. It was the kind of wine you serve up front that you try and impress your guests with. Before, I mean, if you go read the Scripture, before people have had too much to drink and they can't recognise bad wine from good wine, all right? Um, then this is theological idea of the spirits, the giving and the life-giving life of the spirits. Uh, new wine in new wineskins. There's positive connotations and metaphor there. And then again, we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, whereby there's gonna be food and celebration and festivity and worship and wine. Can you believe it? Um, we've already mentioned this fact that Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now again, as much as he wasn't a glutton, he wasn't a drunkard, but clearly he enjoyed a glass of wine. People watched on and disapproved of that. And this is kind of the uh, reputation that he generated over there. Um, some have tried to, and again, it's very only recently in history, some have tried to say, no, no, no the Bible talks about two kinds of wine, non-alcoholic wine and alcoholic wine. I don't know if you've been exposed to that. Um, Historically, that is just untrue. I mean, the whole, how do you make non-alcoholic wine is a very difficult process. And 2,000 years ago, they couldn't do it. But if you look at the Hebrew word, which is yayin for wine, or the Greek word, which is eon, uh, no, enos, or oinos, um, there's just one word for wine, and it always refers to fermented wine. And then we can go back to how Jesus made good wine, the kind of wine that people enjoy and compared to box wine. All right, and then... Um, <laughs> 
Paul talks about people getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and, he's, and he doesn't say, no, 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 guys, you've, you made a mistake there. You bought the wrong wine off the shelf. You need to buy the non-alcoholic wine. He just says, no, 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 you need to be careful about what, coming to the Lord's Supper drunk and you need to be careful about others who are there around you. So for that reason, just don't. All right, um, so we start to realize that all the prohibitions are not about drinking the wrong wine, but about moderation and excess, all right? So that's the good side. Then there's the other side. And again, we see when, when wine becomes something that comes out of the boundaries of blessing, when wine comes outside of the boundaries of what is helpful for enjoying the good things that God has given us, for uh, something that we can do with a clean conscience together, and it starts to become idolatry, it starts to become dangerous, it starts to become excess. So Noah gets drunk and literally there's an experience of incest as a consequence. Deuteronomy 21 verse 20 says, drunkenness causes us to be stubborn and rebellious. And no uh, elbows in the side there. Um, Hosea 4.11 says, wine takes away understanding. Have you ever tried to negotiate with someone who's had too much to drink? Proverbs 20 verses one says, those who get intoxicated are not wise. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine. Very clear command. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to Debauchery. Now, remember we spoke earlier about wine. Is, there's, there's a connotation with the life-giving spirits. Do not get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the spirits. All right? And then uh, church leaders are repeatedly told not to be, there's different ways that it's mentioned, not to be given to drunkenness or given to too much wine. So we could go on, but, but put together, we see that the biblical results of going into the side of idolatry and excess starts to break down our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and even our relationship with ourselves. Because we see that drunkenness causes destructive behavior, debauchery, lust, lack of wisdom, stubbornness, rebelliousness, causes us to say things we ordinarily wouldn't say, do things we wouldn't ordinarily do, joke about things we wouldn't ordinarily joke about, undermines our Christian influence. And for that reason, the Bible doesn't condemn wine, but condemns drunkenness and excess in the strongest terms. So some have tried to get away with it. Oh, okay, the Bible says I mustn't get drunk. Well, I wasn't plastered. And I wasn't like passed out on the side of the road, drooling into the streets. I could sort of keep a conversation going. So when is it getting drunk and when is it just like, you know, festive and enjoying these good things? Well, whether I was going to show us a whole lot of stats and, and um, look at some of the research, but, but whether we look at that or whether we just simply affirm what we see in the Scriptures, this line starts getting crossed when what we're ingesting, in this case, wine, leads us to an impairment of behavior, an impairment of judgment and something that ultimately results in sin. And that's when we've crossed the line. A new report by the World Health Organization says one out of 20 deaths globally is as a direct or an indirect cause of excessive drinking. I heard someone say uh, on a debate the other day, oh, but uh, what about, ca I mean, caffeine. Caffeine's a drug, right? I mean, caffeine alters the states of your mind. And yet we as Christians, I mean, we're always like, let's go for coffee, let's go for coffee, let's go for coffee. So what's the difference between going for coffee and having too much wine and that altering our states of mind? Well, here's the thing. No one's ever been too harsh with their children or beaten them or beaten a wife or said something they regret or crossed the line into sin or acted out on, uh, um, sinned with their mouths in terms of coarse joking. No one's kind of gone into the place of acting out in adultery or crossing this line in any of those ways as a result of drinking too much coffee. But prisons are full and counseling offices are full of marriages and families 
that have impacted by the consumption of alcohol when given to excess has caused sin. So how do we navigate the space between this ground and this ground? Now again, some of you have come from families where there has been excessive alcoholism. And, and because of that and because of maybe the community you're from or the community you're in at present, the family you're in, or some people in your family, mom, dad, children, husbands, brothers, you have chosen to abstain. And for you, that's a very good decision. For some of you, you know yourself. You know your own tendencies and you know, man, this is a slippery slope. A glass of wine is a gateway drug to just way many more. And for that reason, you abstain because you know yourself and your own tendencies. Maybe some of you are sitting here and, and you, you know you're not a slave. You know that you can say, man, I can drink to the glory of God and I can enjoy the good way of relating to what I consume here. And in your conscience, you can say, man, I can practice this with moderation and wisdom. That's great. And the Bible actually even gets us to consider who we're with. So it's not just about do we or don't we. It's about, you know, when is it appropriate and when is it not appropriate? So if we look at, and I'm not gonna, I don't have time to get into the details. You can go read it for yourself. 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, Romans chapter 14. Paul teaches us that if someone has a stronger conscience, in other words, someone in this zone, not in the black zone, someone in this gray zone can say, I can drink to the glory of God. I, I know I'm not sinning. I know it's not leading me to sin, but I've got a stronger conscience. The Bible says about you, but be very careful about those with a weaker conscience. And if your freedom is gonna lead them to sin. But in the same way, the same verses say, but those with a weaker conscience should be careful not to judge those with a stronger conscience, which is exactly what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter what, two over here. That we've got rules and we've got tendencies in our own heart and we need to be very careful in this in-between zone how we relate to others who have differing convictions to us and therefore we should not be imposing non-biblical laws and expectations onto one another with respect to what we eat and drink and this kind of goes both ways. So again, whether we're talking about food or drink, many of us in this room have strong convictions in this in-between zone about why you hold to the convictions you hold to. But if you've seen anything here today, what I hope comes out loudest and clearest, going back to Colossians chapter one and beginning of Colossians chapter two, that if Jesus is truly who Paul paints him to be, and that his lordship has taken root in my life, and he is in me, the hope of glory, and I am in him, and I'm living in the fruit of the gospel, what we do, how we live, matters. It matters. It's either gonna help or it's gonna hinder the gospel. And that is of infinite importance, right? It's either gonna move me, my decisions are either gonna move me towards worship and glorifying God or away from that. And moreover, my decisions, that's a vertical, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. Moreover, my decisions are gonna move others towards seeing the goodness and glory of God in the gospel or away from that. Love your neighbour, you love yourself. What we choose in this in-between zone matters. It matters for our marriages. It matters for our children, for those of you who have children. It literally matters for eternity. 
for our lives and the lives of others. This goes far beyond whether or not you enjoy food or drink. There's a much bigger picture here. And I know some of us have been hurt by legalism. And some of us do kind of need structures in our lives and, and that's fine, but let's recognise these in our own heart and go forward. So uh, in all of this, I think we need conviction, a clear understanding of what the Scriptures teach so we can navigate with far more clarity our own in-between zones. We also need conviction about the need to have Christ's Lordship over all of my life, including what I consume. We also need a conviction about the fact that I live to glorify God and to glorify Him and, and to serve Him in the lives of others. And that is gonna be fueled by humility and wisdom and grace. Every single one of us needs to be asking God for, for wisdom and insight so that I know how to live out my faith in very real and practical ways, including what I choose to put in my mouth around the table. As I said earlier, I've just realized I need to put a lot more thought into my own life and I hope that every single one of you are there as well. So um, there's this great book that I would highly recommend. It's a book by a guy called Brett McCracken. And he wrote a book called Grey Matters where he discusses what we eat, what we drink. He discusses music and movies. I know some of you around in the 80s, which was very popular to take all your non-Christian CDs and burn them. And now you kind of regret it, especially those of you who burnt your LPs because now you know they're worth a lot of money. Um, kind of our, our reactionary ways to these kinds of things. And so he talks about music, he talks about movies, he talks about food, what we drink, and a number of related issues. Grey Matters by a guy called Brett McCracken, living life between liberty and legalism. And in the chapter on drinking, he gives us 20, I've chosen eight, 20 questions for us to ask ourselves as we try and be thoughtful, intentional, and to the glory of Christ, what we eat, what we drink, Is there anything good, true, or beautiful in what I'm about to consume? Because that'll lead you to worship. Lord, I thank you for this steak. I enjoy the steak and I enjoy a God who enjoys giving me steak, right? Is there anything good, true, or beautiful? That's this side. Will my consuming of this lead me to sin? Will I become gluttonous? Will I make an idol out of this thing? Do I forget about God in my imagination? Will I say things I'll regret? Will I do things I'll regret? Number three, will my consuming of this lead others to sin? Am I consuming this? And I don't have time to get into the kind of psychology and the emptiness of soul here, but am I consuming this, be it food or drink, primarily because I'm sad, angry, lonely, or you can fill in the gap? In other words, am I trying to meet a deep need that only Jesus can meet in you with something that he gives us, even if it's a good thing. That's one of the ways it becomes a God thing in our lives. Am I consuming this as a reaction against legalism? That's a sunburn that we can sometimes have. Is this a wise use of the resources entrusted to me? Literally coming down to our budgets, nothing wrong with eating a gourmet meal, but can you afford the gourmet meal? Are there better ways to steward your resources? And number seven, 
would Jesus consume this with me if he were here? Seriously. Because I think it's so easy for us to say, oh, Jesus would do this. No, 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 would he? So as we look at these questions and as life groups, um, we're going to be looking through these questions and trying to promote us moving forward in this area. As leaders, we, we need to be taking this very seriously. This is one of the visible ways that people look at our faith and see it played out in community. And I know this is so practical, but it is so connected to the Lordship of Christ in my life. And so I'm gonna leave these questions on the screen just for a few seconds and then I'm gonna invite you to pray with me and I'm gonna invite the Lord to speak to you that we don't conclude our time together. Thank you for the sermon, Steve. No, 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 the Lord wants me to make some decisions. Now, some of you are taking photos of this. It's a good way of the, the, the notes, the PowerPoint notes are always available on the app afterwards as well. Let us pray, Father, we know that your word says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But in our own judgment and evaluation, in our fallenness of thinking and heart, we in the name of freedom sometimes turn to things that actually enslave us, diminish the role of Christ in our lives. And it's so easy just to think about the so-called religious activities of our lives and you getting so real with us that what we consume is gonna point us towards Jesus or not. So Father, if we as Christians are to follow you wholeheartedly and live out as Christ in me, the hope of glory and me in Christ and all the benefits of the victory of the cross, that's gonna inform what I eat, what I drink, and how I relate to others. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking for incredible wisdom. If there are 300 people here this morning, there are probably gonna be 300 different tailor-made ways of living this out. Living in the reality of blessing. Avoiding that which enslaves and leads us and others to sin. Living together as Christians in this in-between space with humility, grace, understanding, wisdom. Lord, your word says only you give us that kind of wisdom, so we come to you. So Father God, I pray that you'll promote healthy thinking, healthy discussion, insightful ways of loving ourselves and loving others, loving you, <coughs> even in this area of eating and drinking. God, we desire to walk in freedom, but freedom that you describe us, Greater love, greater joy, greater impacts, greater advance of the kingdom. Greater freedom from the kinds of things that so easily enslave us. But also the kind of freedom that allows us to enjoy you and the good gifts that a good God gives. So Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, your word says that you convict us, not to condemn us, but to alert our consciences so that we are literally responding to the active and living word of God. So Holy Spirit, convict us, move us. We stand forgiven and cleansed and also God, move us 
to walk in your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So speaking of eating and drinking, we have coffee and tea and brownies and a lot of people to do it with. So enjoy these good things from God. Amen.